Well, hello, and welcome back to another scary, scary edition of Ghost Stories Told from the South. I am your host, Stephen LeBooth, and I got some skilly, skilly stuff for you today, boys and girls. <laughs> All right, ma'am. I am back this morning. How is everybody doing? Sorry I'm late. Stayed up late doing some research last night and was like, man, I don't know if I want to record. I can do it in the morning. But I was doing some research. So, like I said, I'm going to start cramming some episodes together or some episodes. I'm going to start recording them ahead of time. Probably this week. So when I get up to episode 200, I can do something freaking spectacular. All right. Just want to say thank you guys for listening. <coughs> Thank you so much. Sorry, I'm getting stuff situated. Thank you so much for uh, listening, man, and downloading. I appreciate it. The numbers are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I'm just, I like it. I love it. So, it's awesome, guys. Just want to say thank you very, very much. All right, today, looks like we got a lot of stuff in New Mexico. We'll be talking about there. So, uh, what do you say? What do you say we get down to the stories? You know the routine. Grab you a nice warm blanket. Get you some hot cocoa or hot coffee or some tea. And uh, poke the fire a little bit. Get a little cozy. Get ready to be scared. <laughs> All right, our first story is... The La Fonda Hotel in Santa Fe, Mexico. At 100 East San Francisco Street in the historical district of Santa Fe, New Mexico, sits the historic La Fonda Hotel. This hotel has been providing a pillow for weary travelers since 1922 but the location itself has been called home to some kind of in our Fonda since Santa Fe's earliest days when Santa Fe was founded in 1607 records show that an inn in its location was on the first was one of the first business establishments in the new settlement according to local lore Court was held in the original Adobe Hotel as well as executions when guillotine offender when guilty offenders were hung were hanged in the uh, lobby. That's messed up. They didn't have a place to hang them to hang them, so they did it in the freaking lobby of the. <laughs> wow, this place has already got a lot of rich history. I can tell. Over the years, the hotel was destroyed and rebuilt several times over. In 1821, when Captain William Becknell blazed the path of what would become known as uh, <coughs> known as the Santa Fe Trail, he stayed at he stayed a La Fonda where the trail terminated at the town's central plaza. As more and more pioneers traveled Santa, 
traveled the Santa Fe Trail. The La Fonda became a popular destination for trappers, traders, mountain men, soldiers, politicians, and all walks of life. Soon after, New Mexico became a U.S. territory in 1848. The inn was purchased by Anglo-American owners who changed its name to the U.S. Hotel. The gambling hall continued to be a major feature. However, providing entertainment for military officers and the occasional professional gambler. Fortunes were made and lost here, and one unfortunate person lost his life in 1857 at the end of a rope strung up in the hotel's backyard by a lynch mob. Ten years later, see, that's the thing. These lynch mobs back then, they would just come get you. Eh, whether you was guilty or not, if the lynch mob or the community thought you was guilty, they would rush in and get you and hang you before you could go to trial or anything. Okay. Ten years later, in 1867, the Honorable John P. Sloth, Chief Justice at the uh, Territorial Supreme Court, was shot to death in the hotel lobby. Sloth was the was in a dispel, or was in an argument with Captain Reinerson, a member of the territorial legislature representing Donna Anna County, when he when he Sloth called Reinerson a liar and a thief. The offended Reinerson then shot Sloth, who uh, died of his wounds. Though Reinerson is, was tried, he was later acquitted. Around this time, the hotel was sold again, and it became the and it became the Exchange Hotel. The name under which it operated for nearly six decades, more than a century ago, a distraught salesman who lost his company money in a card game leaped his death down a deep well that was located just outside the gambling hall of the Exchange Hotel. The current La Fonda was built in 1922 on the site of the previous inns. In 1925, it was acquired by the Atchison's Topeka Santa Fe Railroad, which leased it to Fred Harvey. For more than 40 years, from 1926 to 1968, La Fonda was one of the most famous Harvey houses, a renowned chain of fine hotels. Today, the La Fonda Hotel is said to host not only travelers visiting Santa Fe, but also several ghosts. Some people believe that the Honorable Judge Sloth continues to walk his, oh, to walk its hallways. However, more than, uh, however, more often reported is the ghost of the distraught salesman who jumped into the well after losing all of his company's money. The hotel's dining room, called the La Plaza, excuse me, that was rude, is situated directly over the old well 
and both guests and staff alike have reported the sight of ghostly figure that walks to the center of the room, then seemingly jumps into the floor and disappears. Others reported a, a phenomenon including an apparition that haunts the Santa Fe room, as well as a spirit that walks the hallways near the La Tesera, a restaurant located on the east side of the hotel's third floor. In the 1970s, a ghost reportedly called the front desk to complain that someone was walking up and down the hallway in front of his room. When an employee was sent to investigate, he saw a tall man in a long black coat disappearing to the stairwell. However, when he followed him to the followed him to the stairs, there was no sign of the mysterious visitor. Ha <laughs> That one seemed pretty good. And that was about the La Fonda Hotel. That one was pretty good, pretty creepy. I can't believe, man, that hotel was uh, would uh, hang people in the backyard or the lobby. I mean, I guess if that's, I mean, jeez. And then that old judge got gunned down, so I bet you that place is a hotbed of uh, ghost activity. Ah, let me get a drink. Ah. Alrighty, I need to quit saying that, because I go to Sonic sometimes here in my hometown, and there's a chick that does your order like that. Alrighty, alrighty, every time you get through with your order. Alrighty then, thank you. Alright, our next story. Our next story is the Hotel Perg Central. Oh, um, if I'm probably butchering its name, and I'm very sorry if I am. One time, at one time, a psychiatric hospital and continued cultural icon in the area, the Hotel Perg Central has decades of history, with many reports of paranormal, paranormal throughout the years. Several of these incidents occurred during the time the building was known as Memorial Hospital. Ooh, so this hotel was a hospital way before it was a hotel. So you know that sucker's going to be haunted. Many patients have tried their own experience. Okay. Many patients have had their own experiences, including the site of apparitions. The top floor on the right wing is where a woman apparition has been watching people in the hallways. Patients also report having their bed sheets pulled off of them in the middle of the night. Patients have stated that they have been so traumatized by some of the events in this ex, this, uh, old hospital that once discharged, they have continued to suffer from nightmares about the building. So these people are having nightmares and the ghosts are messing with them while they're in the hospital, when it was a hospital. And then when they go home, they're still having nightmares about the place. That's pretty crazy. That place must be pretty 
thick of the ghost activity. Patients were not the only ones to experience thing that, things that could not be explained. Staff of the hospital, hospital did too. They would often have the sensation of being watched, as well as hearing something whisper in their ear. The movement of objects and general sensation of heaviness throughout the buildings. During an investigation in January of 2011 by the Los Mortuos Spirit Seekers, three team members experienced unexplained voices whispering close to their location. They also reported a distant, a dis, disconnected, a discontent coldness near their body and a sense of being watched. After reviewing their evidence, some of these experiences were captured on digital voice recorders. They also carried out flashlight technology in an attempt at communications with a spirit that involves the answering of questions through the turning of the flashlight. This was a success, with several responses captured, captured on video. Opening in 1926, the building was named Santa Fe, the Santa Fe Hospital, and it was used by the treatment of the employees of the Atchison's, Topeka and Santa Fe Railroad Company. In the 1940s, the hospital was renamed A.T. and S.N.F. Hospital, and later in the 80s, it was purchased by a group of psychiatrics and renamed Memorial Hospital. For the next three decades, it was a place where children and young adults suffering from mental conditions were treated. It wasn't until 1910, after a huge $21 million investment in support from the city in the Hunting Highland Historical District Neighborhood Association, that the hotel opened its doors. If you really are looking for a way to get in touch with the past, you'll want to head to the rooftop lounge for some 1920s era cocktails. The bar is fidgetly called the Apothecaria Lodge. You'll need some liquor courage if you do meet a former patient. Mm Mm-mm. Well, well, that one seemed pretty interesting. That was a uh, mental hospital. And then it was a freaking hotel. It's crazy. Crazy. (laughs) And I guess my brain works like that. Because I used to drive for a living. And I'd go through some of these older towns and be like, man, I wonder what that building used to be. Or, you know, just stuff like that. So does anybody else do that when they're going through a town they've never been in or just see an old building and be like, man, that's an interesting-looking building. I wonder what it's doing there. Why is it there? I don't know. That's just how my brain thinks. All right, let's get digging on down to the next one. All right, our next one is St. James Hotel in Cimarron, New Mexico. The St. James Hotel in Cameron, New Mexico, was built in 1872 by Harry Lambert. 
and it was intentionally intentionally called Lambert's Inn. Its saloon restaurant and 43 rooms were wit, wit or rooms witnessed at least 26 murders during Cimarron's wilder days. Clay Allison, Black Jack Ketchum, Jesse James, and Buffalo Bill Cody have left their mark on this St. James. As attested by the numerous bullet holes in the main dining room ceiling. Before Henry made his way to New Mexico, he was the personal chef to President Abraham Lincoln. Upon the recommendation of Ulysses S. Grant, he continued to hold the position until the president was assassinated in 1865. Before long, Henry made his way west in his search of gold. Finally setting in Elizabethtown, New Mexico, he opened a saloon and restaurant instead of finding gold. At this time, Elizabethtown, Cameron, and much of the surrounding areas were owned by Lucen B. Maxwell. The Maxwell Land Grant was the largest land grant ever made in the United States. When Maxwell sold the grant in, the ni- in, ni- in 1870, the new land grant company man discovered that the French chef, Henry Lambert, was working in Elizabethtown and in enticed him to come to Cameron, or to Cimarron. The Lambert Inn, as it was was called at the time, started business in 1872. Built during a time when law and order were non-existent, the saloon quickly gained a reputation as a place of violence, where it is said that 26 men were shot and killed within its adobe walls. The first question usually asked around Cimarron in the morning was, who was killed at Lambert's last night? Another favorite expression following a killing was, it appears Lambert added itself another man for breakfast. The saloon was wildly popular with the cowboys, traders, miners, and the many travelers of the Santa Fe Trail. The saloon did so well with Henry or the saloon did so well that Henry added guest rooms in 1880, and the hotel was soon considered one of the most elegant hotels west of the Mississippi. Many well-known people stayed and stayed there over the years. Wild Earp, his brother Morgan, and their their wives spent three nights in St. James on their way to Tombstone, to Tombstone, Arizona. Jesse James stayed there several times, also in room 14. Signing the registry with his alias, R.H. Howard. Jesse James' nemesis and would-be killer, Bob Ford, also stayed at the St. James. At the St. James. Buffalo Bill Cody, a goat rancher, a goat ranch manager for... Lucen Maxwell for a short time met Annie Oakley at the hotel and began to plan and reserve their Wild West show. When Henry's son Fred was born, Buffalo Bill nicknamed him Cyclone Dick because he was born during a blusterous snowstorm and was soon asked to be Fred's godfather. 
As Fred Lambert grew older, Buffalo Bill would be one of the first to give him instructions in use of guns. Fred Lambert would spend his entire life upholding the law as Cimarron's sheriff. A member of the uh, tribal police and territorial marshal, when Buffalo Bill and Annie Oakley left Cimarron to take their show on the road, they took took an entire village of Indian Indians from the Cimarron area with them. I mean, that sounds kind of forceful. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm pretty sure they didn't like. Oh, you're going with us on this show. We're forcing you. I don't think it was anything like that. I hope not. <laughs> okay. Now, this one's pretty long, so buckle in. <clears throat> Other notables who have stayed at the Historic Inn include uh, Bat Masterson's, Train Robber Blackjack Tom Ketchum, General Sh- Shredden, Doc Holliday, Billy the Kid, Clay Allison, Pat Garrett, artist Frederick Remington, Governor Lou Wallace, and writer Zane Gray. The hotel was later renamed the St. James and continued to counter to to cater to travelers today. When the railroads came through, the Santa Fe Trail died, and soon after, the gold in the area began to play out. Cimarron's population dwindled, and the elegant St. James Hotel fell into disrepair. <coughs> when, Henry's, when Henry Lambert's son, Fred and Jean, replaced the roof of the Lambert's Inn in 1901, they found more than 400 bullet holes in the ceiling above the bar. A double layer of heavy wood prevented anyone from sleeping upstairs from being killed. Today, the ceiling of the dining room still holds 22 bullet holes. Henry Lambert died in 1913. His wife, Mary E. Lambert, died in 1926. Through the years, the old hotel was was at many times uninhabited and passed from owner to owner. However, in 1985, the St. St. James was restored to its former uh, luxury, luxuries, and just within the last decade or so, it's been updated again. So there's probably a lot of ghost activity there. The St. James Hotel is said to remain host to several restless spirits. Both the owners of the hotels of the hotel and guests will tell you that many unexplained events haunt it. Several psychics have visited the hotel and specifically identified three spirits and many others who have passed through relatively through their experiences. The hotel's second floor is the most active, with the stories of uh, code spots and the smell of cigar smoke lingering in the halls. A prior manager said that you never see them, but you do feel them and hear them. Another re, uh, re another report from a former owner states that she walked into the dining room and saw a pleasant-looking cowboy standing behind her in the mirror on the front of the bar. 
the spiritual activity of the uh, hotel has been featured on the popular television show Unsolved Mysteries and or and a current affair. Room 18 at the hotel is kept locked because because it houses the ghost of an ill-tempered Thomas James Wright, who was killed at its door just after winning the rights to the hotel in a poker game. Having been having been having been shot from behind, Wright continued into the room slowly and bled to death. Ew, that's a freaking hell of a way to die. Wright's angry ghost continues to haunt the room. And he does, doesn't does like company. One former owner said he was pushed down while in the room. And on another occasion saw a ball of energy. Excuse me. A ball of angry orange light floating in the upper corner. The room holds only a bed frame without a mattress. A goat track and a rocking chair. And a brewer that, ha- brewer that has made a short shrine to the Old West. Setting atop the bureau is Jack Daniels is a Jack Daniels bottle, a basin and pitcher, a hand of cards, and an ace Copenhagen tin. That's what they used to spit in because they used to have these big tins. Because not a lot of people smoked back then. A lot of the cowboys did chewing tobacco, and they would spit in these big old buckets. Uh, where was I at? Oh, and several short glasses. Uh, short glasses. On the wall is a bad painting of a half-naked woman. The staff considers this room to be the most haunted. The people are rarely allowed to enter the room, much less sleep in it. Rumors around that, rumors about that, when the room was rented, several mysterious deaths occurred there. Ooh, that's crazy. Yeah, maybe it's a good thing that they shut that down. Room seventeen is the epic center of sightings of Henry's second wife, Mary Elizabeth, who is said to remain at the hotel as a protector. Many give her birth give her birth to many gave birth to her children in the hotel and died there herself in December of nineteen twenty six allegedly Mary Rose sensed perfume can be smelt in her room in her old room sometimes an instant tapping is heard when the window is open and will not stop until the window is closed. On other occasions, a milky, transparent woman can be seen in the uh, hallways. Another dwarf-like old man has been seen in the hotel. Nicknamed the Little Imp by the hotel staff, the spirit is very mischievous, continuously playing tricks and laughing at the staff. On one occasion, he was said to have struck a knife into the floor between two owners of the hotel inn, oh, of the uh, old inn. 
However, he is often blamed for objects that mysteriously disappear, only to be found later in locations where they don't belong. Other unknown entities are also said to roam the hotel, creating a host of paranormal activities. Staff report that intimate that items continuously fall off the walls and shelves, and electric electrical equipment at the front desk behaves very weirdly. Others have reported code spots throughout the historic inn. Lights that seemingly turn on by themselves, feeling of being watched by unseen eyes, and cameras that cease to work inside the hotel, strategically returning to normal after leaving St. James. That's weird. So they feel sick or kind of there, but then when they leave, they're fine. I have heard it's about other places, you know, that people will be like, the whole time I was there, I felt sick or I felt this, but when I was gone, I felt great. Uh, Where was I? Cody Maltz, a college student who who has worked summers at the hotel, reported that in 2002, as he was working on the working it at the front desk, he heard a high-pitched screech coming from the uh, far corner of the lobby. Looking up abruptly from his work, he was dumb, dumbfounded to see absolutely no one that absolutely no one on that side of the room. Quickly looking around, his eyes rested on three other guests mingling at the other side of the lobby. Having not heard the sound, the having not heard the loud scream, they were completely unfazed. The hotel features 13 historic rooms named for their famous and infamous people who once stayed there. An annex was also added to the hotel that houses an additional 10 rooms. The hotel retains its historical embrace with antique chandeliers, velvet drapes, and thick carpet coverings, its old wooden floors. Barricaded wallpaper in many of the hotel's original furnishings. Give me a minute, I gotta... Oh, Sorry, had something was in my eye. An eyeball. Where was I? Okay. There are no phones, radios, or televisions in the room for in the 14 rooms of the main hotel. However, the 10-room annex has all the fancies of the modern hotel. The old saloon, which is now used as the hotel's dining room, still holds the original antique bar, as well as 22 bullet holes in the uh, ceiling. In the hotel's hallways is a plaque that A plaque that, common, common. Uh, anyways, a plaque that has Clay Anderson in the roster of 19 men who was said to have been killed there. So there's a plaque on the wall that has these 19 men there who died. 
as well as photo photos of the many famous guests that have stayed at the historic inn. Also, the hallway also in the hallways is the original headstone of Parson Franklin J. Tolleby, the beloved minister of Cimarron, who was killed during the Colfax, Colfax County War. Checking into this historical place will make you feel as if you have stepped, stepped back into time. As mounted deer and buffalo stared down at you from the wall. All right, talk about the phantom poker player. Okay, now this story, I take it, is someone's experience what they felt. Thought I had seen the St. James Hotel featured several times on the popular television show <coughs> Unsolved Mysteries and was very impressed with these stories. I never thought I would have the opportunity to visit there, let alone spend the night. However, in the late 1980s, I took a new job installing payphones all over the state of New Mexico. When I was given the task of installing several phones in, in the Cimarron area, I decided to spend the night at the St. James Hotel. The first night I stayed in the Zang Gray room, and as I was getting ready to take a shower, I noticed a small mirror hanging in the wall that was rocking back and forth. Click, 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 click. Though I tried to ignore it, the clicking sound proceeded until I finally walked over to the mirror and felt the wall to see what was vibrating. It wasn't. I then looked into the mirror to see if I might see the reflection of something other than myself. Nope, nothing but me. Then I touched the mirror on the lower corner, holding it to the wall. Before slowly taking my finger off, the rocking stopped. Before going to the shower, I looked at the mirror and said out loud, with a smile on my face, What's the matter? Are you tired of playing? The mirror went click click and stopped over the next few months see that I'd, I'd be like oh i don't know if i want to be in this room over the next few months i had several more op opportunities to stay at the saint james in fact i would plan my trips so that cimarron the cimarron area would be my last stop and always stayed in the uh, zane gray room However, nothing more happened until what turned out to be my last stay there. Just down the hall from my room is another small cir circular room with a poker table. I always thought it would be great, be great fun to play poker there, but never had the chance. One night, I had gone to bed early, having to be in Colorado the next morning and needing to get early start in order to get back to my house, to my home in Rio Ranch, New Mexico, the next night. Okay, this is still about the phenomenal poker player. However, I was having trouble getting to sleep. 
And as I tossed and turned, I began to hear these sounds of people talking down the hall. It was odd, as I was the only guest in the hotel that night. As I listened to the voices, it sounded as if they were calling poker games, such as Joker's Wild or Jack's or Better to Open. Curious, I got up, pulled up my pants, opened the door, and looked down the hall. There in the corridor was a lady in a bright red ruffled 19th century period dress, looking a little annoyed. She was holding a round serving tray and went back into my room, thinking this... thinking this might be the chance to play a little cards in the circular room I had always wondered about. I put on a shirt, went back out, and walked down the hallway to the poker room. When I poked my head in, three men, all in period dress, were playing poker, and one of them asked me if I wanted to get in, to which I responded, What, what are the stakes? $20, $20 Annie, he, he replied. Unfortunately, all I had with me was a $20 bill and a company credit having declined. I went back to my room and went back to sleep. For those, okay. When I got up at 5.30 a.m., I got my stuff together and as I walked down the hall, I looked to the poker room, and it was spotless. No empty bottles, no cigar butts, but not even any dirty glasses. <coughs> I then went downstairs to the front desk to check out and asked the desk clerk, where are the big winners last? Who were the big winners last night? What do you mean? She replied. Those guys playing poker upstairs last night. She, uh, shaking her head, she said, Mr. Jennings had... Mr. Jennings and I have been here all night, and you were the only one upstairs. I just stood there speechless, feeling a thought, feeling as thought I had just been hit over the head. I then simply walked away, left the hotel, and I have never been back there at all. I was absolutely sure that those people that I had seen the night before had been part of some kind of show or had been to a square dance or something because of their dress. They seemed they seemed so much a lot much like flesh and blood people. But the desk clerk had said I was the only one there and no one was allowed upstairs at night unless they were guests of the hotel. That's pretty creepy. I don't know what I would do. Wow. That one's a pretty good story. I like that one. Excuse me. It was pretty long, but yeah, that one's pretty good. That was a good one. All right. I'm going to get me a drink. And we're going to get back to the next story. And this will be our last one of the day. All right, our next story is the Chemo Theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
The Chemo Theater, a Diablo, a Diablo, <laughs> a Pablo Dico picture place, was opened on September 19th of 1927 by Ortiz Bache Bache, a motivative entertainer from humble Oregon's who came to the United States during United States in 1885. Winding up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, he soon set up a business in a tent near the railroad tracks. As the city expanded, so did Batchy's business. As he became a liquor dealer and proprietor of the grocery stores, of a grocery store. His wife Mary ran a dry goods store in the Elms Hotel. As his Fortunes expanded. He began the Bechi Amusement Association in 1919, which operated the Pastime Theater with Joe Bur Burnett. In, an eight, in a 1925, Oreste decided to achieve its true dream, building his own theater, envisioning a unique southwestern style. He soon hired architect to design it, winding up with the Pablo Deco style. The architectural style was a flamboyant, short-lived fashion that fused the spirits of the new American cultures with Art Deco. Built for $150,000, the theater opened September of 19th of 1927. When silent movies were the all-concerning rage of Americans, he, a contest was ran to name the new theater. A Pablo Abeto won the uh, manufacturing, or magnif magnificent, magnificent prize of fifty bucks for the unique name of Chemo. Chemo is a combination of two Indian words, literally meaning mountain lion. But more like, but more liberally, inter, inter, interpreted as king of its kind. Just one year after realizing its dream, the owner died, leaving the management of the chemo to his sons, his <clears throat> who soon combined Vadilville out of town road shows with movies. Over the years, the chemo featured such stars as Vivian Vance, Carla Swanson, Tom Mix, Ginger Rogers, and many others. No instinction stands through time stands through time without something bad happening. And the chemo is no And the chemo was no exception. In 1951, a 60-year-old, a six-year-old boy named Bobby Darnell was killed when the when in the was killed when the boiler in the basement exploded, demolishing part of the original lobby. The boiler was lo uh, located right beneath the concession stand in the lobby. 
Bobby, who had been sitting in the theater, ran down to the staircase to the lobby. Just as he arrived, the boiler exploded, taking Bobby and part of the lobby in its wake. The first... All right. The spirit of the little boy is said to continue to haunt the chemo theater still today. Another tragedy occurred at the chemo when in 1963, a fire destroyed the original 1927 stage and damaged most and damaged much of the rest of the building. Soon after, like many American cities, Albuquerque experiences a mass exodus from downtown and the beautiful chemo theater begin to fall into disrepair. Slatted for the wrecking ball, the Kimmel Theater was saved in 1977 when the city of Albuquerque voted to purchase the beautiful building. Since then, several stages of restoration have returned the theater to its former glory. The Kimmel Theater now serves as a performing arts center with seating for 700 people as one of the national and it's on the National Registration Register of Historical buildings. But what of its ghost? Not only is the old theater home to poor Bobby Darnell, who died in the 1951 explosion, but also to a mystery lady who is seen walking along the hallways. This unknown woman is wearing a bonnet and has often been reported walking down the theater halls, appearing to be most going about her business nothing more than nothing more is known of its glory presence but seemingly she does not disturb anyone she just looks strolling about the old theater however bobby is much more pervalent force and has been known to play all kinds of impish tricks upon staff guests of the old theater. Others seen playing on the lobby staircase, Bobby wears a striped shirt and blue jeans. According to the legend, the playful spirit causes the performance causes the performers probably by tripping them and creating ruckus during their performances. <coughs> to appease the spirit, the cast hangs Donuts on the water pipe, then runs along the theater back wall behind the stage. Oh, that there's a pipe that runs backstage, and that's where they stick these donuts. Often, this, the treats are gone the next morning. Of those left, bite marks may be made by a little mouth, and you can some, and they can sometimes be seen. One year ago, a crew preparing for a Christmas production took down these uh, stale donuts. Big mistake. No sooner were the donuts removed when the technical people started to become, when the electronics started to become a disaster. With everything going wrong, from lighting to sound problems and more, when the treats were replaced, Things begin to suddenly run smooth again. Well, 
I hope y'all learned a lesson and learned to leave that boy's little biscuit, that little boy's donuts alone. Uh, well, I'm glad you guys stopped by today to listen to my stories. Glad you enjoyed them. Hope you love them. Don't forget, check out my my YouTube page, Ghost Stories Told from the South. Go to Facebook, Ghost Stories Told from the South. And you can get this this, uh, podcast pretty much on any um, platform out there. So, Well, guys, I'm going to wrap it up. This has been Stephen LaBooth for Ghost Stories Told from the South. Hope you had fun. Hope you got scaredy. Until next time, be scary, and uh, we'll see you next time, folks. Have a good one.